Welcome to the Old Time Radio Hour on Sid Valley Radio. This is Sid Valley Radio. This week on the Old Time Radio Hour, we'll be listening to a half-hour mystery drama, followed by 30 minutes of comedy. So, just sit back and relax. As we revisit the truly golden age of radio. Sunrise and sunset, promise and fulfillment, birth and death. The whole drama of life is written in the sands of time. The M Casting Company presents another in a series of dramatic programs, The Clock. will run indefinitely, neither too fast nor too slow. And what little regulation it may need is usually minor. The same can be said of the normal mind. But a watch that has been tampered with exaggerates the passage of time. The wheels may run too slowly or too fast. This is not always apparent to the casual observer, however, at least on the surface. And the human mind that becomes abnormal is not always an easily detectable thing, even though that mind may house an appetite for murder. They told me at the hospital that I was the homicidal type. Can you imagine me? A perfectly normal girl with a sweet disposition. I guess that's why I didn't like the place. Everybody was nuts in the joint but myself. So one night I found a loose bar in one of the windows and I let myself out by climbing down some knotted bed sheets. <laughs> Say, they must have been a sight to see when they found out I was gone. And I took my nail file with me. When I reached St. Louis, I naturally got myself a job. I'm a manicurist. But only for men, see? And if I say so myself, I can dress up any barbershop in town. When the bald heads let me hold their fingers, they forget about their business troubles. And they always feel at home with a nice, sweet, respectable girl like me. So your name is Mabel? Yeah, what's yours? Charlie. I used to know a Charlie once in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> and he was just as cute as you. <laughs> Left hand, please. How long you been around here, Mabel? Oh, just a little while. You got any boyfriends? One or two. But uh, nothing steady, huh? No. Say, that's a classy ring you got there. Four carrots. The stick pin's five. You must be rich. I get by. And I don't mind spending either when I meet a classy number, Mabel, like you. You're squeezing my hand. That's what it's for, ain't it? It all depends on who's doing the squeeze. What's on your date book for tonight? Nothing much. Movie, maybe. And then to bed. You want to make that a nightclub and a show? I might. When do you knock off here? Six. I'll be outside waiting, baby. Five minutes of. And I'll be looking for you. Charlie. He took me to a chop suey joint and then we found a bar. The floor show was rotten, so we didn't stay too long. 
And Charlie wanted to go for a nice long walk in the park. But he got tired even quicker than I thought he would. And we sat down on a bench right near the lake. Ah, it's quiet here. Yeah. And we're all alone. You're going to try to get fresh now, Charlie? <laughs> you know the routine. Are you married? Yeah, but my wife don't understand me. That's how it goes. But you're the kind of a girl who does. From the minute I met you, I figured you were just my type. You know, Mabel, I could go for a kid like you. Nice, sweet kid. Big, blue, innocent eyes. He looked at me and I looked at him. And then he bent over to give me a kiss. I remember his face smelled from some kind of a shaving lotion. And I noticed the sweat on his upper lip as I opened my handbag and took out the nail file. And I also remember how his eyes bulged out like marbles as I jammed the file through the back of his wrinkled neck. I didn't do it for the diamonds or the wallet. Although I figured I might as well take them with me as long as he wasn't going to use them anymore. And anybody who says I did it for the diamonds ought to be ashamed. I did it because I liked to do it. I don't know why. And a girl's got to have a little fun every once in a while. The next one I met was Alfred. And he was a doll. And it wasn't long before we got well acquainted. So you're in the messenger business? Well, not exactly. I mean, I don't own the firm. I'm just one of the bonded carriers. What's that? Well, we carry stocks and cash from one place to another. That's about all there is to it. Right hand, please. Okay. I bet that's dangerous. My work? No. You see, most people on the street don't even know I got something valuable in my briefcase when I make a delivery. And besides, I carry a gun. Oh, a gun? <laughs> don't be afraid, Mabel. I ain't got it with me now. I used to know a fellow named Alfred in Dallas, Texas. Did he look like me? Not half so nice. <laughs> I never met a girl who was half as nice as you. Oh, you're just saying that to kid me. No, on the level, I mean it. You married, Alfred? No, but I hope to be someday. You'd be a nice catch for any girl. <laughs> I don't make too much dough, even though I carry a lot of it around. But if a girl don't mind a movie and a glass of beer, I, I can provide her with an entertaining evening. Don't sound bad. How about him, Mabel? I'll let you know. I usually make my last delivery on Friday afternoon about 3 o'clock. I could meet you later or we could step out. Where's your office, Alfred? On Front Street. Oh, say, that's funny. I live on Revere. That's three blocks away. You want me to call for you? Sure. At, at four after I make my delivery? Okay, Alfred, at four. But give me your office phone number just in case something comes up and i got to call it off. I'll put it down, but, but try to keep the date, Mabel. I promise you'll have fun. If I keep it, Alfred, I know I will. on Friday, and at 2.30 sharp, I called the number Alfred gave me. I don't know why, I just couldn't wait until 4. I guess I just had a yen or something, and I was looking for excitement. Alfred? Yeah? This is Mabel. Oh, hello. You're not calling off our dates? No, no, I just want to make it sooner, that's all. Sooner? Can you pick me up in 15 minutes? But I got a delivery to make. I'll make it with you. Don't you want company? It's against the rules. Oh, don't be like that. I'm lonesome. And besides, some guy's been pestering me all day. He's dying to take me out, and he said he might come over. I, I want to avoid him if I can. You calling from Revere Street? Yes. Number 71, where I live. Hurry, Alfred. And then after you make that delivery, we'll have some fun. Okay, baby. I'll be right over. And I'll be waiting. <laughs> Made me lie that way. I don't live on Revere. 
And I don't know what made me go to number 71 and hang around the hall. <laughs> I must be mischievous, huh? I guess I'm just a card. Alfred? Oh, hello, kid. I thought I'd wait for you here in the hall and save time. Let's get going. I want to get rid of this package of money I got and quit for the day. Oh, you're cute, Alfred. What? You're really cute. Uh-huh. You think so? Then you and I are going to have lots of fun. Oh, dear. What's the matter? The bow on my shoe just got on top. Oh, here, let me do it. Oh, you darling. No trouble, Mabel, no trouble at all. No trouble at all. He had curly hair, and I could see it needed cutting when he bent over to tie the bow. And the curls ran down the back of his neck to the point where I stuck the file. Oh, the papers were full of it, and you can imagine what they said. Messenger robbed of 10000 in cash. <laughs> the liars, it was only 9804 And then he said he was killed for the money, ain't that a sketch? For smirching a nice girl's reputation like that, when all I wanted was a thrill. The feel of the file as it went through his neck. <laughs> it almost made me giggle. And a girl's got a right to catch herself a laugh. The next week, I left my job and set myself up in a fancy flat. I got some snappy clothes in the high-class shops, and when I walked down the avenue, I looked like a lady. It was one of those walks, by the way, when I first met Harry. Oh, excuse me. You talking to me? Yeah, you happen to know where High Street is? On the other side of town, just follow this avenue. Thanks a lot. You going my way? Well, yes. You like a lift? I guess I wouldn't mind. Good. Hop in. I don't want you to think I do this as a regular practice. Oh, no. I mean, I'm not the kind who lets yourself get picked up by any Tom, Dick, or Harry. <laughs> That's funny. What is? That's my name. Harry? Yeah. What's yours? Mabel. I'm glad to know you, Mabel. The feeling is mutual. Where are you bound for? I'll take you wherever you want to go. I'm not particular. No kidding? Well, in that case, how about some lunch? I know a place pretty close. Maison Rouge. Frenchie? Uh-huh. Oh, I say that sounds good. You know I'm crazy about frog's legs. Uh, your own ain't doing so bad. Now, don't be so chummy. <laughs> how about it, Mabel? Should we put on the feedback? Did I say no? Okay. It must have cost plenty. It didn't come cheap. What line of business are you in? I'm retired. You mean it? <laughs> well, it's like being retired. I make my dough the easy way. On what? Horses. You raise horses? No, I play them. I play anything, baby. As long as it pays off good. You're a gambler. Yeah, that's the idea. I never met a gambler before. And you got a treat coming, kid. Watch your drive and use two hands. <laughs> yeah, you and I will get along, Mabel. Oh, sure. We'll get along. Just fine. <laughs> took me out every night for a week and we had a lot of fun. He had money to burn and he spent it like a sport. That's why I was kind of sorry when our friendship had to end. Hello, Mabel. Say, what's a big idea? I've been waiting on this corner for 20 minutes. Well, sorry I was late, honey. I had a little business with him. Look. Harry, where did you get all that money? Crab game. Big one. Joe Laurie was in on it and Louis Crane, two big shot gamblers. And the luck was running for baby. How much money is in that roll? Fifty grand. Oh, I didn't think there was that much money in the world. There's more where that came from, honey. And baby's gonna get it. Now, how about we celebrate, huh? 
I know a classy roadhouse just outside of town. You mean you're going to carry all that cash around with you? Why not? I'll bank it in the morning. I'd just as soon have it on me as leave it at home. It's safer with me. After all, who have I got to be afraid of? You? <laughs> That's a laugh. I scream when I see a mouse. <laughs> what you need is a protector, honey. Somebody like you? Why not? You're too innocent to be running around without a guy to keep an eye on you. And I'm setting myself up as candidate number one. Come on, Harry. Let's go to that place you talked about. I'm dying for dance. Me too. Then maybe later on we can get better acquainted. You sure you can drive, Harry? Yeah, sure. No question about it. You had a lot to drink? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. That place is nice. I gotta go back there one day. You mean we gotta go back, don't you? Sure. We. What are you doing? Filing my name. There's some file you got there. Looks more like a stiletto. Oh, Harry, you're tired. No, no, I ain't. It's dangerous to drive when you're tired. Why don't you park for 15 minutes and take a little nap? Here? In the woods? Mm. You can rest on my shoulder if you like. That's what I call an offer I can't refuse. Crowding you, Mabel? No. Rest your head over here. You know, you were right. I am a little tired. I told you. If I grab a couple of winks, don't forget to wake me up. You go to sleep, Harry. You'll get a nice rest. The drinks made him good and sleepy, and he closed his eyes. It was so quiet out there and so peaceful. And poor Harry was so very, very tired. That's why I figured I did him a good turn. You see, he didn't have to wake up anymore at all after I slid the nail file into his throat. When a man gambles with a deck of cards, his luck might run for hours. When he risks his neck in a speeding car, he's fortunate if it lasts for minutes. But no one can set a time limit on how long your luck will run when you're getting away with murder. Well, by that time, I guess I was just about the happiest girl alive. I had everything I wanted, didn't I? Well, almost everything. Because after all, even $50,000 just goes so far. When I first saw Brandon, I got a jingle up and down my spine. Charlie was fat and Alfred was cute and Harry was tough. But Brandon was elegant. My, oh my, but he sure was class. When he knocked on my door that first night, he was wearing evening trousers and patent leather shoes and a red silk dressing gown that only went halfway down, just like in the movies. And he had a monocle stuck in one eye and a long cigarette holder. And the way he talked, he just wanted to listen all day long. I beg your pardon. I do hope I'm not disturbing you. Oh, not at all. I wonder if I could borrow a lemon. A lemon? Yes, an ordinary lemon. Oh, I sure. Thank you kindly. I need the lemon because I'm mixing a drink for myself. A tall drink to cool the inner man. Tall drinks are nice, especially when it's hot. True, very true. Uh, would you care to join me in my flat? I, I don't mean to be rude, of course, and please forgive me if I appear too forward. Oh, that's, that's all right. We're neighbors, so I'm not insulted. What's your name? Brandon. And yours? Mabel. Happy to know you, Mabel. We really should have met before. Well, there's nothing like making up for lost time, and we can start right now. 
I'll bring the lemon. Todd, we haven't met before. We've both been living here for over a month. I noticed you in the elevator one day. I remember because you were wearing spats. Uh, where are you from? California. My father was a rancher, and when he died, I left home. My father made a lot of money, and he never had time to enjoy it. I'm his heir. I'm from New York, Mabel, and I'm more or less of an heir myself. Really? My father was an Englishman, Sir Brandon Montague. Perhaps you've heard of him? I don't know much about foreign. Of course, my mother was American, and so am I. I used to know a man named Brandon in Dallas, Texas. Uh-huh, no relation of mine, I'm sure. Uh, will you have another drink? Why not? I like your apartment, Brandon. Oh, well, it's not quite what I had in mind, but in times like these. Who's the lady in that painting on the wall? Oh, my first wife, Dolores. Beautiful, isn't she? How We were divorced some years ago. I'm footloose and fancy-free now. Me too. It's got its advantages, but then you get lost. Yes, I know how it is. However, when one is lucky enough to meet someone as charming as you, Mabel, one thanks one's lucky stars for being free. Oh, now, isn't that sweet? Here's your drink. Yes, good health. Yes, good health. Brandon and I saw a lot of each other. And my goodness, but his show was smart. He knew all about everything, like, like Latin and algebra, to say nothing of how to compliment a girl. We used to talk and talk in his apartment or in mine. And believe it or not, he never made a pass. A gentleman, that's what he was. A perfect gentleman. And some of my ancestors on my father's side came over with William the Conqueror, uh, to England, I mean. Oh, you sure have got a family history, Brandon. And you? I'm just a rich man's daughter who's looking for friends. I'd be honored if you accepted me into that category. Then can I ask your advice? Oh, please do, concerning anything. I'm anxious to invest some money. In what? Some safe. I feel it ain't right to have all that dough just lying around. I want to put it to work. Well, there are several worthwhile investments I know of. I happen to be an investor in several of them myself. Of course, I do have one idiosyncrasy. What's an idiot... Huh? How about you said? Oh, a constitutional peculiarity, more or less of a special peculiar characteristic. Oh. And my idiosyncrasy is a fear of banks. Yeah? Somehow I don't trust banks. I, I don't know why. Well, where do you keep your money? In a wall safe over there. I had it installed by an expert. It contains my valuables and my cash. Most of it, at any rate. Say, that's a swell idea. Uh, I find it keeps me free from worry. My investments, of course, are fully protected by my brokers. I've got about $50,000 I want to invest as a starter. Well, let me speak to my representatives about it, Mabel. I'm sure they'll make a few good suggestions. I'd appreciate it. You uh, wouldn't be interested in a wall safe, too, like mine. Uh, maybe I would. But how can you be sure a burglar won't get at it? Unless it's opened with the exact combination and no mistakes, an electric alarm informs the police. There's very little risk, of course. I guess you memorized the combination. No, not yet. I've only had the thing for about a month, and it's a very complicated formula. However, in a week or so, I'll destroy the paper with a combination on it. Well, I guess i got to go now, Brandon. Oh, so soon? I have some shopping to do. Mabel, may I see you this evening? Aren't we seeing too much of each other? Oh, do you think so? It's been so wonderful being with you. I've kept no track of time. I'll be home again about 9 o'clock tonight. May I drop in on you for a nightcap? No. If you don't mind, I'd rather come here. I got home to my apartment about 8.30 and changed into a fancy dress. Then I slipped my file into my evening bag and went across the hall to have a little fun with Brandon. You look charming, Mabel. Perfectly charming. You look pretty slick yourself. I've mixed the drinks already, so... Let's have an eye opener. Well. Here's to a long life for both of us. 
down the hatch. Brandon. Yes, dear? Why don't you ever try to kiss me? I beg your pardon? You're the first man I've ever met who didn't make a pass. I have more respect for you, Mabel. But ain't she even human? Yes, very human. I've thought of kissing you many times. Well, who's stopping you? I'm only human myself. He took me in his arms and kissed me hard. And then he bent his head to kiss my hand. I felt like crying almost when I took the nail pile out. He was going to look so messy in his fancy suit when I finished. As I raised my hand to give him the works... Brandon. Yes? What have you got on your neck? Adhesive tape and bandage. I cut myself. Oh. Are you going to file your nails? Well, I thought... Oh, give me that file like a good girl. It can wait till tomorrow. Sure. Everything can wait until tomorrow. Especially when you're in love. Well, I couldn't jab him with that big bandage of cotton on his neck. And besides, he had the file. I was really surprised at Brandon for disappointing me like that. After all, he was such a gentleman. But when I left his flat a little later, we made a date for the end of a week. And I made sure to ask him for my file. Hello. Brandon? Yes. This is Mabel. Mabel, where are you? I wanted to call you about our date tonight. I'm going to be out of town, and I think I'll be back too late. Oh, I'm so sorry. Of course, if you wanted to meet me with your car and drive me home... Oh, I'd be delighted. I'm going to be all the way out in the sticks, Brandon, visiting a friend. If you could pick me up about nine... Just tell me where. Oh, it's a little village 40 miles from here. It's got one drugstore, and I'll be waiting there. Well, wouldn't you prefer me to pick you up at your friend's house? No. No, that's not so good. You see, I'll have to make some kind of an excuse to get away, and I don't want my friend to be insulted. All right, Mabel. In front of the Portstown Drugstore at nine. And then we can take a nice long ride together through the woods. I took a train to Portstown, and I was in front of the drugstore by 7.30. I figured I could let him have it in the car, like I did with Harry. And he'd be carrying the key to his apartment. Somewhere in the desk, maybe, I'd find that combination. Of course, I wasn't doing it for the money. And anybody who says so just doesn't have any respect for a lady. Like always, I was really doing it for fun. Well, you wouldn't believe it, but I stood there until 11. Can you imagine that and Brandon never showed up? By a quarter to twelve, I got tired of hanging around, so I took the last train back to St. Louis. It was certainly ungentlemanly of Brandon to stand me up that way, but he was full of apologies when he called me the following day. You don't know how awful I feel about it, Mabel, but my car broke down just after I left my flat. I'm so terribly sorry, dear. Well, I don't know if I'm going to forgive you, Brandon. Ah, oh, you must. And besides, I've made up for it just a little. Hmm? How? I spoke to my broker, and he's going to make a wonderful investment for you. He's got a tip on the market, and he'll turn your $50,000 into a million. Oh, that sounds fine. Can you get the cash and bring it over to my apartment tonight at 8? Well, all right, Brandon, anything you say. You can trust me. You know you can. The next day, I made sure there was going to be no slip-up. I brought a load of sleeping pills along with me, and I slipped them into Brandon's drink. He was so cute when he started to get sleepy. The radio was on, and he was trying to keep himself awake. Oh, I don't know what's wrong with me tonight, Mabel. I 
<laughs> Feels so groggy. Maybe you want to take a nap? No, no. That isn't very nice when one has company. However, let's get on with our little business. You, um, you have the cash. It's in my bag. Then you'd better let me have it. Now, Brandon. Yes, Mabel. All right, Brandon. I'll let you have it. Now. He was flat on his back asleep when I opened my purse. And he didn't feel a thing when I jabbed the nail file through his neck. I found the combination, too, and I got a dough. There wasn't much. Not as much as I thought. And I was just about to leave when I felt kind of funny. There was... There was something that hit my leg. Then traveled up... Up to my stomach. It kind of paralyzed me in a way. I, I tried to think if there was something I ate, but... But all I had was the drink he mixed for me, and then... And then I heard a voice. Now here is a special what? news bulletin. It was coming from the radio. I did I tried very hard to listen. Brandon Montague, homicidal maniac, a man who has killed three women for their money. Five feet ten, suave manner, monocle in left eye. Brandon Montague is wanted by the police. His favorite method for murder is a poisoned drink. So that's how it goes. Brandon Montague, the guy I trusted. I, I ain't even got strength enough to reach the phone. The only thing I sure would like to know is whether Brandon got as much fun out of it as I did. Perhaps Mabel never knew it, but she supplied the answer to a riddle that is almost as old as time. <laughs> she demonstrated what would happen when the irresistible force met the object that was immovable. Clock will be heard again next week, same time, same ABC station. This program was written by Lawrence Clee, directed by Clark Andrews. Music tonight was under the direction of Ralph Norman in the absence of Bernard Green. Heard on tonight's program were Fran Lafferty as Mabel and Charles Webster as the voice of the clock. This is Bill Crago speaking. Listen again next week, same time, for The Clock. You're listening to the Old Time Radio Hour. On Sid Valley Radio. Here's the comedy caravan starring Jimmy Durante and Gary Moore with music by Roy Bargy and his orchestra and songs by Georgia Gibbs. The Bargy men open the show with one of the season's top tunes. Hit it, Roy.
Cosmetic is a powder, and a powder is a sedative, and a sedative is a dope. And here he is, that little cosmetic, Gary Moore. No. Thank you. Thank you very much, Howard, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And Howard, Howard, I am happy to report that our new sponsor and I are already on a very friendly basis. You know, for... For a present, he gave me a modern two-piece smoking set. A modern two-piece smoking set? What's that? That's a long stick with a nail on the end of it. <laughs> Awfully nice of him, I thought. Oh, darling. come now, Gary. The cigarette shortage isn't that bad. Oh, you think not, huh? At the store club last night, the cigarette girl kept walking through the crowd yelling, Cigarettes, cigarettes. Won't somebody please give me a drag off their cigarettes? <laughs> It's terrible Well, what may I ask Were you doing at the start club? Why, Howard, hadn't you heard? They, they gave a great big party for us And I hardly got seated Before I saw Mayor LaGuardia walking in Well, naturally I wanted to impress the sponsor So I walked over and I asked the mayor to join us Now, Howard, do you know what he did? What? He looked up and laughed right in my knee <laughs> Never so incensed But never mind the, how, uh, the mayor, Howard The Howard mayor let's, uh, let's find out how the audience feels About our new sponsorship let me see. Oh, this, this young lady over here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. No. <laughs> Why, it's Mrs. Nussbaum! <laughs> Why, indeed, it's Mrs. Nussbaum. You mistook me maybe for Lauren Bacall? <laughs> Mrs. Nussbaum, I'm delighted to see you. Are, are you a fan of our program? Mr. I never miss it. Oh, you don't. No, I never hear it, so I never miss it. <laughs> somehow, somehow, Mrs. Nussbaum, that line sounds familiar. You must listen to some other programs. But definitely that. By me, the favorite comedian on the radio is Fred Allen. But Fred Allen is off the air. That's why he's my favorite comedian. <laughs> I see. In, in other words, you prefer silent comedians. Mr. Morpheus, to me, the greatest man... Carry <laughs> on. To me, the greatest man in radio will be the man who first sponsors a half hour from silence. Of silence? Of a cycle. Just imagine, the announcer says, Needlemeyer's Noiseless Noodle Soup presents a half hour of silence. Starring Gene Krupa in a drum solo. Gene Krupa, but wouldn't that be terribly noisy? Not according to my plan. This drum solo who he plays by beating on a damp sponge with a feather. <laughs> This is no spell, I'm afraid you have something there. Meanwhile, couldn't you possibly say something nice about our program? Precisely why I am in the vicinity. Good. I have written tonight a poem dedicated to you. Well, isn't that nauseating? How does it, um... <laughs> how does it go? Like this. Mm -hmm. Roses are red, violets are blue, Fred Allen's off the air, how about you, no? <laughs> and with this encouraging message... 
I suggest we turn to the one and only Jimmy Durante in person. I'll bet you do. Well, Jimmy, look, uh, since, since we've been to New York, have you met any new or exciting femme fatales? Yes, and women, too. <laughs> Why, you can hardly believe the happenstance that happened to me the other night. What's that? What a happenstance. I was loitering in a smart cafe, and at 9 o'clock, a beautiful blonde dancer came out wearing an evening gown. At 10 o'clock, she came out wearing a bathing suit. At 11 o'clock, she came out wearing nothing but a fan. And at 12 o'clock... Yeah, what happened at 12 o'clock? Curfew, everybody home. <laughs> That's the Manhattan conditions that prevail. <laughs> but tonight, Junior, I'm really fixed up. You are. Right after the broadcast, I'm going out with Dolores. It's a double date. A double date? Yes, Dolores weighs 200 pounds. <laughs> There's good news tonight. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy, sometimes I think you're the world's champion idiot. Yes, but if you put on a little weight, I'll give you a crack at the title. <laughs> Howsoever, that is neither one meat nor Lucille Ball. <laughs> I was sitting in my living room last night wearing my diver's suit. You see, I have a sunken living room. <laughs> when who should arrive from Washington my own personal pigeon? Carry a pigeon? No, thanks. I'll carry my own. <laughs> and who do you think the note was from, Junior? That? It was from the head of the Library of Congress in Washington. It says, Durani... The Library of Congress has statues of every important American, and we want a statue of you. Well, that's marvelous to me. What, uh, what artist did you get to do the statue? Well, you know, I know quite a few, mm -hmm. but I didn't know what artist to select, so I wrote the names of eight or nine of them on slips of papers and dropped them into my hat. Then I reached in and pulled out one of the slips. Oh, good. Who did you pick out? Some guy by the name of Six and Seven Eights. <laughs> But I couldn't find his name in the phone book, so uh, I decided to make the statue myself. You did. The first thing I did was go down to a art store and buy a hammer and a... A hammer and a... Chisel? No, I paid what he asked. <laughs> I was in no mood to dick it. I see. Then I got a big lump of clay. I got a big lump of clay and brought it to the studio. Just then the fellow from Washington came in to see how I was getting on. Well, what did he say? He looked at me, looked at the lump of clay, looked at me, then looked at the lump of clay again and said... A masterpiece, I can hardly tell you apart. <laughs> we both had a hearty chuckle, and then I chased him down the fire escape. I see, I see. Oh, hello. For whom does the Alexander Graham Bell toll? Hello, Umbriago. I got you one ticket from here to Buffalo. Another ticket from Buffalo to Chicago. Another ticket from Chicago to Denver. Another ticket from Denver to Salt Lake City. And another ticket from Salt Lake City to San Francisco. Goodbye, adios. Jimmy, why did you arrange this trip with so many short jumps? With Umbriago's draft board, we can't plan too far ahead. <laughs> but be that as it may, June or July. Yes. Where were we? I'm afraid, James, we were talking about your statue. Oh, yes. 
Not wishing to waste any time on my statue, I called up the Powers Agency and told them to send over one of his most beautiful models. Oh, Jimmy, how can you be so stupid? It was a statue of you. What do you want with a beautiful model? And my boy calls me stupid. <laughs> anyway, the finishing date for my statue was fast approaching. Yeah. So I locked myself in my studio with my hammer and my chisel and my candy-striped smock with the marshmallow buttons. <laughs> and after three weeks, I emerged with the finished statue. To make me happy, Congress decided to unveil the statue on 42nd Street in my own native metropolitan of New York. And Junior, on the day of the unveiling, crowds were gathered all the way up to 59th Street to see my statue. Oh, wait a minute. How could they see from there all the way down to 42nd Street? The statue was at 42nd Street, but the nose reached up to 59th Street. <laughs> now you know that you can't go wrong. Bargie in the orchestra now in a Roy Bargie arrangement of El Relicario. the time has come for you to tell the folks what's in the culture corner tonight. That I shall gladly do, James. Tonight, friends, it is my privilege to get our new series off to a real start by presenting a young man who we think is a fine artist, handsome, talented, and appealing. But above all, it's his fine singing voice that has made him a star. And I think perhaps a little applause we can get him to, uh, get him to come out here and sing us a song. How about it all together? Come on, come on. 
Passionately, Beulah Bang Bustle. <laughs> and I shall never forget the day we met. I was vacuuming the rug in my bachelor quarters, and I pushed the vacuum under the Davenport when I heard a grinding noise and the motor began to strain. I opened the bag to clean it out. And there you were, my sweetheart. <laughs> yes, there you were, and you lay there, darling, blinking happily up at me through the dust and lint. And when I took you in my arms, <laughs> what a fuzz you made over me. <laughs> And I looked down at you. I looked down at you, darling, so alluring you were, so absolutely tempting, with that damp cigarette butt dangling from your left ear. <laughs> and behind your left ear, behind your left ear, darling, was your right ear. <laughs> how, about, how about so youthful? You looked so eager and youthful with your hair falling down over your shoulders, and your shoulders falling down over your hips, <laughs> and your hips. Oh, but I could go on like this forever. <laughs> But I knew. I knew, my angel, I knew that this was it. We were fated to be wed. So I spoke to you. My voice just bubbling with happiness, joy, and C-R-E-S-T-A. B-L-E-N-C-A. Cresta. Blanca. Cresta Blanca. I said to you, Beulah. Beulah, I said, will you run away with me and get married? And you said, I'd love to, Tyrone, but my feet are tired. How would I soon fix that? We were married standing in two tubs of hot water. It was a double ring ceremony. <laughs> oh, and, oh, and we were so happy, darling. We were so happy. My friends didn't like you at first. They said you were mean. Just because you like to go around pushing old ladies into buzz saws. <laughs> oh, but... Ah, but I remember the fun we had, putting the pieces together to see if it was anyone we knew. <laughs> yes, we... We could have been happy, my darling, but then... It happened. We were canoeing our way down a placid stream, as gentle and calm as a twilight caress. We should have noticed, of course, that the current was growing more swift, and above all, we should have noticed that threatening rumble as though of distant thunder. And suddenly I realized... Around the bend of the stream, a waterfall 900 feet high. In three seconds, we were being swept along at a breathtaking speed. Paddle, you I shouted. Paddle, darling, we'll be smashed to bits on the rocks below. No, no, you'll understand me. music means anything, we're due at this moment for a visit from her nibs, Miss Gibbs. Right you are, my fuzzy-headed friend. <laughs> and I've got a song tonight that I could dedicate to you if you were twins. What's it called? More and More. Oh, no. <laughs> if it won't hurt your feelings, I might say it's a little bit prettier than you. <laughs> her nibs, Miss Gibbs. <laughs> more and more this heart of mine 
of Life on the Waterfront. End title. The Ferry Boat Captain's Daughter, or She Didn't Want the Fog to Lift Because She Knew Her Slip Would Be Showing. <laughs> That's my boy who said that. But tell me, Garrison. Yes. Ain't that somebody knocking on the door? Either that or the termites are having a jam session. Come in. Oh, Mr. Durante, there you are, there you are, there you are, there you are, there you are. This dame leaves me no room for argument. <laughs> Gentlemen, I am a reporter from the Bronx Daily Eagle. Well, pull up your feathers and sit down. <laughs> My paper wants me to do a story about you and Mr. Durante. I understand that tonight marks the start of your third year on the air together. That's right. And you can tell your readers uh, that it seems Junior and me were meant to be partners. Yes, James, it was fate. Destiny, kismet. Wait a minute. What did you say? I said kismet, kismet. Well... This is most embarrassing, but go ahead, pucker up. First of all, I wish you'd tell me how the team of Moore and Durante was born. 
Well, it all began a couple of years ago. Jimmy and I didn't know each other then, but one day we were both asked to star on the same program. Well, I walked into the office and I said, Hello, my name is Moore. I tell jokes, play the piano, and sing. My name is Durante. I tell jokes, play piano, and sing, too. Well, let's shake. Let's shake. Oh! I forgot to tell you, I also do jujitsu. But after that, you became pals, and now you like each other, eh? Oh, indeed we do. In fact, madame, if a question of money comes up, we shake hands and forget it. If a question of jokes comes up, we shake hands and forget it. And if a pretty girl comes between us, we shake hands and... Yes? Ouch! Since then, I've learned jujitsu too. <laughs> And you mean that nothing has been able to dissolve your association? No, madam, not even that time in 1943, when that new girl moved into the apartment next to ours and... Uh... Gee, Garrison, it sure is sweet of you to take me to a nightclub tonight. Oh, it's, it's nothing, really. But don't you think you ought to buy me some gardenias for my hair? Gardenias, fish, toss, just say the right word and I'll make an orchid. Wonderful. Oh, sorry, that's not the right word. <laughs> Would you care to try again? Wait a minute, what's going on here? Good heavens, it's my other boyfriend, Jimmy Durante. What a situation, the infernal triangle. <laughs> triangle nothing, whenever you're going out with me tonight. Why, I'm worth a half million dollars. Mad chicken feed, I'm worth two million dollars. Now, boys, don't argue, please. I'll decide the whole thing by flipping a quarter. Mm -hmm. Oh, good heavens, the quarter rolled under the radiator. Now, which one of you is going to take me out? You're going out alone. We're staying here until we find that quarter. <laughs> And a lot of strange things together. And not only that, we've seen a lot of strange people. Well, on with the story of Durante and Moore. Ah, yes. In 1944 came the gasoline shortage. So that year I drove my car while Jimmy kept his in the garage. And the following year I put my car away and Jimmy took his out. Okay, Jimmy, give her the gas. We're late for rehearsal now. You know something, Junior? I've got a funny feeling that I forgot something. Oh, well, let's go. Can't you go any faster? I told you we're late to rehearsal. Okay, Junior, I'll step on it. But I still got that funny feeling I forgot something. Now I remember. I forgot how to drive. story of Jimmy Durante and Gary Moore. I must say that although its inauguration was inauspicious, your histrionic amalgamation has been meteoric in its success, and your personal affiliation is comparable to a veritable Damon and Pythias. You said it. I don't know what you said, but you said it. <laughs> My dear young lady, I believe this whole situation can be summed up in the following words, like this. Will you join us? We're closer than Damon and Pythias. Much closer than Damien and Pythias. You're closer than Damon and Pythias. And here's hoping we'll always be with you. We're pals. We're pals. We're chums. We're chums. We're pals. We're pals. We're chums. We're as close as the shell on an oyster. Just as close as the shell on an oyster. You're as close as the shell on an oyster. If you're asking me, things could be moister. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. Indeed. Indeed. See, see. See, see. May we. We're friends. We're friends. We're John. We're John. We're John. We're John. We're John. We're John. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We may be pals, but I'm still in the habit of breathing. 
Jimmy and Gary will be back in a moment. Roy Bargy in the orchestra now in a Roy Bargy arrangement of the Karaoke. <laughs> note, Mr. Moore. And don't forget, Jimmy, we're leaving for California tonight. Tell you what I'll do, I'll meet you at Grand Central Station at 12 o'clock tonight. Oh, how they love me at the Grand Central Station. They do. The last time I walked at the Grand Central to take a train, 16 men picked me up and carried me on their shoulders the whole length of the station. Oh, fans of yours who wanted to see you off? No, janitors who wanted to keep the floor clean. <laughs> I'm afraid that's my Jimmy who said that. See you in Hollywood, Mr. Durante. See you in Hollywood, Mr. Moore. Hi, everybody. Listen to the Comedy Caravan next week when, once again, we'll bring you the music of Roy Bargy and his orchestra, songs by Georgia Gibbs, and laughs by... Jimmy Durrani and Gary Moore. In person. This is Howard Petrie saying, we'll see you there.
Radio Hour will be back next Sunday, at 4 o'clock. We hope you can join us, here on Sid Valley Radio.